Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, we have celebrity Rick Bennell joining us after his appearance in the Last Dance documentary last night. He also gives us the top five second acts in Hornets history and this. I know they're taking our energy. They're taking, I mean, that's it. They're, they are sucking our life force and I feel like he might be a vampire. That's all I'm saying. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. This is Locked On Hornets presented by Built Bar. Use promo code Locked On to get $10 off of your first box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. Again, $10 off. Use promo code Locked On at BuiltBar.com. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And you can follow us all on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets, at Walker Mail, and at Doug Branson, L-O-H. You can also follow a local celebrity on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell after seeing his appearance in the Last Dance Ooh. documentary last night. It was really cool to see. Rick, how are you doing this morning? Who are you guys again? Yeah, I thought so. You know, I didn't know if you were going to big time us, but I appreciate you sharing your time with us once again this week. I didn't know if we'd make the cut, but eventually we do. How was that for you, Rick? Really cool to see Michael Jordan reading your article after the BJ Armstrong game. How cool was that for you to see? Well, you know, the story behind the story is that Michael came to me after the game and asked me to make up a bunch of really crazy inflammatory quotes from BJ. So... You know, I mean, I I knew that he was going to eventually end up owning the team. So I figured, you know, having a favor bank would be a good idea. Huge if true. Yeah, yeah, big, big if true. You were nice enough to do that, to provide him with the content to destroy the Charlotte Hornets, making stuff up. No, this was no LeBradford Smith moment, right? This wasn't completely manufactured. B.J. Armstrong goes off in the fourth quarter. It's a bunch of jump shots. Michael uh, tries to guard him, but get, uh, but BJ Armstrong gets freed from a Divac screen, and then he shoots it, and uh, and then eventually wins that game. And then BJ feels himself, and um, you know, appropriately so, right? Like you just beat your former team, you just beat Michael Jordan in the loss that they had in the postseason. So appropriately so. What do you remember from that game, Rick? Just the BJ Armstrong moment beating Michael Jordan. Uh, how fun was that game for you to cover uh, them actually beating the last dance bulls in one postseason contest? I loved covering BJ. Um, we are, you know, we stayed in touch and I would call him a friend now. Um, and I, I mentioned that because BJ was so interesting to talk to about a, a really wide range of subjects. He's a really smart, eclectic person, but you hardly ever wrote about what he did on the court. <laughs> I mean, um, that, <laughs> That chance to, you know, at least, you know, stick one finger in Michael's ribs, that was a big deal to him. And, I, and I'm really glad he had that moment. But, boy, if that isn't the definition of don't, don't poke the bear, what is? Yeah. No, it was uh, – that is the definition. It fits that as much as anything. And, Rick, also, man, the Charlotte Hornets were kind of featured, you know, quite a bit last night because they showed that postseason series. But also we have a little bit of a tie with Scott Burrell, who there was a, a whole entire segment of one of the episodes last night based on how hard Michael Jordan came at Scott Burrell. What was it like for you, Scott Burrell, having played with the Charlotte Hornets? What was it like for you uh, covering Scotty Burrell? Like what, what, what was interesting about him and his time here? 
uh, with Charlotte. Well, y'all remember that I, I had a interview with BJ right before the thing started where he, <clears throat> at the end of the interview, he expressed to me that he was worried for Michael because he thought that there was going to be um, an aspect of him that the public were, was not going to digest easily. And through the, you know, through the first three weeks, I didn't see anything that I thought, oh boy, the public's really going to look at this and go, you know, he's just a, um, he's just a horrible, horrible person behind closed doors. You got a different glimpse of that in the way that he just constantly rode Scott's ass. Um, and, you know, it doesn't surprise me that Scott handled it well and with good humor. Um, Scott's just a really good person. But I can also see where, you know, Scott, He, I mean, this is not a guy who's a, a non-competitor. He's certainly not somebody who's soft, but he's not type A the way that Michael is. And I can see where Scott would get on Michael's nerves in that live and let live way that he played as a basketball player. Rick, it's what if week here on the Locked On Podcast Network and on the Locked On NBA Network. So I'm going to throw you a what if, and it's actually it's something kind of from the last dance. They did a they did a lot on that '98 series between the Bulls and the Hornets. They didn't really mention the '95 series, the round one series against uh, Michael Jordan and the Bulls and the Hornets. Uh, then Alonzo Mourning was still with the team. LJ was still with the team. And the Hornets actually did get a win against the Bulls. Same game, game two, this time in Charlotte against that weakened Bulls team. My question is this, Rick. When you think back to that time, I mean, what if the Hornets were able to somehow overcome that Bulls team that uh, despite being, you know, as Phil Jackson said, they were at full power. It was clear that they were not the same Bulls from the first uh, 3P. What if, in your mind, if the Hornets were able to to put that together and get that series win, could they have kept the Alonzo Mourning-LJ duo together? One of the many things that caused the breakup was those misgivings about whether Alan Bristow could get him to to a place where he could be the best NBA player he could be, um, winning that series would have helped in that one regard. But, you know, Doug, there were so many different things that added up to that mess. Um, giving Larry what at the time was just a, a stunning contract. And then, you know, almost the day after Larry signed that contract, it, it was obvious that Zoe was, you know, was going to be a better NBA player than Larry, which meant that that was the absolute floor of what they'd have to pay to retain him. Um, the other thing, we've talked about this occasionally in the past, <clears throat> there became a, a real tiff between Zoe and Larry. And of all things, it started over the fact that Larry had five suits made, custom made, and he didn't actually pick out the fabrics. He'd trust the, the designer to pick them out for him. And Zoe in the locker room made some very condescending remark about that, where he, he sat in front of several teammates, that ain't shopping, that's just buying. And that really got Larry um, ticked. Um, and that, quite frankly, is the was the start of what, Ended up being that uh, that crazy fight um, 
years later in the playoffs when um, Jeff Van Gundy was holding on to Zoe's uh, ankles in a dust mop dance. We've got more with Rick Bunnell ahead. He is going to dive into some hidden Hornets history and, in fact, do a top five list of second acts in Hornets history. So we'll get some cool stuff there. Uh, but first, I got to tell you about Built Bar. They are supporting the Locked On Podcast Network this month, and uh, I've had some of these Built Bars. I've had too many, honestly. Uh, I'm loving them so much. They're tasty. Uh, they're a protein bar that essentially tastes like a candy bar. 16 amazing flavors. They've got nut flavors. They've got nut-free flavors. If uh, you have any of those a- uh, allergies, they're covered in 100% chocolate, and, and they're soft. They're easy to chew. They're great after a run. I'm trying to get a little more health conscious because I'm going to be honest with you. I've put on the Corin 15. I'm a little chunky, uh, but these soft and chewy bars, they're helping me get back into shape. Walker, you love these things too, I think. They're an excellent substitute for my mini muffins in the morning. They're an excellent substitute for my granola bars and aren't exactly the healthiest for me in the morning. And the fact that I don't have to sacrifice taste for that, it makes it a lot easier to just grab it out of the pantry, get some coffee and go. And I'm appreciative of Built Bar allowing me not to put on maybe the corn corn 15. I've got a little bit going. Maybe my love handles have gotten a little bit bigger, but uh, not the corn 15. You've got the corn six pack. Don't 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 you lie to me. I know you're fits. I know you are a you're an Adonis. <laughs> oh, you're sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. I, I love Bill Bar because it's taking us closer to that wonderful Jetsons future of just breakfast, lunch, and dinner being covered in either bar or pill form. And I just enjoy all of that. <laughs> <laughs> just down the hatch immediately. Down the hatch. I'm serious. I'm serious. It makes meals easy. Like I'm not trying to look. I yeah, I got a lot of things distracting me right now, and I don't need to be dealing with like what to eat after a run or, or, you know, cooking up something for breakfast. Forget that built bar makes it easy. And also it tastes great. Uh, so here's the deal. Go to builtbar.com, Use our promo code locked on, and you're going to get $10 off your first order. Use the promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. This is locked on Hornets. I'm, I'm a little. I listen. Hold on. I, now, see, uh, I, we couldn't just blow by that one. Well, you had because this is what frustrates me. You know, I'm uh-huh. under the weather. You know, I'm not at 100 percent right now, and you're you're just taking it to me. You're like one of these people that knew Nick Batum had a hand injury, and they were just slapping his hand because it's like we're gonna get, we're gonna knock this guy's hand because we know he's injured, and that's what you're doing to me right now. But I just want to say, Sam, if you're listening, you're more than a numbers guy. You have heart. You have soul. You have agency. You are a person. Love you, Sam. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer has been very gracious with his time with us every week during the pandemic to come up with some really cool hidden Hornet history nuggets about the franchise. We've been doing a lot of fanfare the last couple of weeks, a lot of fun to go down the top five lists and interesting categories. We have another one for you. It's now the top five second acts in Hornets history post-playing career for some of the guys that ever donned a Charlotte Hornet uniform. Doug is ready to press the button for all of the fanfare that we get. It's the definitive list. This is not subjective. This is not going to go out there for you to make your comments on. This is definitive. The Rick Bennell list once again. Rick, what is the fifth best second act uh, according to you in Charlotte Hornets history? Well, you know, Walker, before we start that, I did want to mention, I, I heard your interview with Chad Ford I bet you were in total agreement with me 
I never had more respect for Chad as an evaluator than when he so clearly defined Doug with that word nerd. It nailed it. I listen, uh, I wear that with a badge of honor. um, And I feel like on his big board, I'm number one. Yeah, he didn't miss like Chad Ford did not miss that one. He he nailed your evaluation process. He knew exactly what you were and you are absolutely a nerd. Rick, what is number five for you as far as the best second acts in Hornets history? We were talking about him earlier. B.J. Armstrong. B.J. Armstrong in the news quite a bit and actually spoke with Scott Van Pelt after the episodes of seven and eight last night. Why is B.J. Armstrong number five when it comes to the best second acts in Hornets history? I just always knew that B.J. understood the game and understood the business of basketball well enough that um, he might be much more interesting um, in what he did after he was a player. Um, The Bulls had him in the organization for a a time, seemingly grooming him to end up replacing Jerry Krause. That didn't work out, but he went into being an agent. And he represents uh, several significant players, including Bismarck Biombo, by the way. And you know how there's that been that trend of, of agents eventually being recruited to go into front offices? It will not surprise me at all if someday BJ is an NBA general manager. Very cool nugget about BJ Armstrong. By the way, a one-time All-Star BJ Armstrong made the All-Star team in 1993-1994 with Chicago. So pretty cool nugget there. Doug, you had something you wanted to say. Well, also second act for BJ Armstrong. He journeyed to Nepal and apparently found the uh, Fountain of Youth uh, because the guy looks uh, like he did in 1998. He hasn't aged at all. Um, You know, let me talk to his blood boy because he's clearly doing something right. Anybody who doesn't age at all, that just stinks for the rest of us, doesn't it? I know. They're taking our energy. They're taking – I mean, that's it. They're, they are sucking our life force, and I feel B- like he might be a vampire. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, B.J. B. Armstrong is absolutely a vampire, and it's impressive. It what may, it's what makes him a part of this top five list, his second act as a vampire. It was really impressive, that transition. Number four, Rick, who has the fourth best second act in Hornets history? Vlade Divac. Vladi Daddy. Vladi comes in at four. Why, Rick? Do you remember when he first came into the league and everybody thought he was a, a chain-smoking goof? <laughs> Were <laughs> they wrong? <laughs> yes. Yes, they thought that. They might have accurately thought that, but then has changed into something else. Uh, yes, I do remember that. Now he's with the Kings organization um, and comes in at number four on this list. Uh, Rick, why do you have him number four with some of the details that you have? There are only 30 of those jobs, and he is running an NBA team. Um, He's had some hits. He's had some misses. But um, I just think it's really interesting that somebody who um, was not, uh, you know, did not come from this country, came from a completely different culture, um, became such a, a factor as far as him understanding the game that he ended up running the Sacramento Kings. I know. It's really interesting. I mean, he's been able to sort of navigate the politics of that organization and wither a lot of criticism because, I mean, a lot of people have not uh, been particularly fond of the decision-making around the Sacramento Kings and Vladi being a big part of that. Number three, Rick, who comes in at number three on the list? Well, there there might be some argument about whether this guy should be even higher on the list. Del Curry. Whoa, controversial. 
I think a local fan favorite. Um, Del Curry comes in at number three to you, Rick. Why? It, you know, it's kind of a cool life to be the dad of a two-time MVP, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, um, they're worse lives. <laughs> I mean, think about this. On the one hand, um, he and his wife travel all over the country to watch his two sons play playoff games mm-hmm. all spring. And, um, and he is like Mr. Charlotte. I mean, if you, if you had to name five people who are the most identifiable Charlotteans on this planet, he's certainly on that list, and he might top it. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I, it's funny that Del Curry has become a guy that wasn't an outstanding basketball player, but good enough to win six man was a really good one, at least for the, uh, for the Hornets. And he has become like the guy as that you might think of first and foremost, when it comes to Charlotte Hornets, Kimball Walker might be that person as well, but man, Del Curry certainly sticking with the franchise allows him to do so as well. So Del Curry comes in at number three, Rick, who comes in at number two. Rex Chapman. (laughs) This is a great one, man. I saw this list beforehand and I loved this one. There's some sentimental value here. There's some comedic value here as well. Uh, Pretty incredible story that Rick Chapman, uh, Rick Chapman has, right, Rick? Block or charge has become this iconic, phenomenal, um, cool thing. And he is doing all that neat stuff, not just for himself, but for the greater good. Um, Rex went through a a horrible period in his life after, um, after I believe back surgery where he became addicted to opiates. And now he's a, a huge advocate for, you know, the, the, um, the dangers that opiates can represent in our society. And Rex has just become this really cool citizen of the world. Yeah, and an absolute content machine. I mean, he started with the block charge thing. I feel like that's where it began, but he's one of these rare internet content creators who is able to take that and then elevate it into something else. He has figured out Rex Chapman is an algorithm unto himself. I mean, he just knows what people want in a really strange way on the internet, and he is blowing up. I'll tell you one thing that's cool about... um I'll tell you one of the things that's really cool about Rex is a lot of people in that situation can be full of themselves. Mm-hmm. Rex is just the opposite. Um, his the fact that he the fact that he is accessible to everybody and doesn't treat himself as as placing himself above somebody else because he once put a basketball through a rim that's a very charming quality. Rex Rex has mastered the rare art of humility. Uh, well, Rick, I just want to promise you one thing. If I ever achieve the level of fame that Rex Chapman finds himself in today, I, I promise you one thing. I will be very full of myself. Well, nerd excellent that you are, I'm sure you'll make it all work. Yeah, and, and plus, nobody, I think, can be as famous as Rick Bonella is right now after his appearance in something everybody is watching in their homes right now. Rex Chapman, probably my favorite one on this list, but he is not number one, according to Rick Bonnell. Rick, who is number one with the best second act of all time, Charlotte Hornets history. Can you believe that that really random second-round pick, Tony Bennett, has had by far the best second act of anyone in Hornets history. Whoa! Virginia is for lovers, and Rick Bennell loves Tony Bennett. Crazy 
renaissance at Washington State as far as its basketball program goes with Tony Bennett coming in and bringing in a ton of talent there? How about Virginia uh, being a team that is every bit the equal of North Carolina and Duke as far as the last uh, Tony Bennett's tenure since he took over that Cavaliers program? It's been extremely impressive. And Tony Bennett comes in at number one uh, to you, Rick. What are some other things you have to share about why Tony Bennett holds the top spot? It's mildly striking to me um, that he has ended up an even more accomplished college coach than his dad. Because his dad was a, a big, big yeah. deal. Um, what what Tony has done, and it reminds me a little bit of my, what Mike Krzyzewski came to terms with um, about five years into his tenure at Duke. Uh, you either have to embrace what those jobs are or you're going to get overwhelmed by the waves crashing over your head. And here's how I mean that. Um, when Krzyzewski first got the job at Duke, he recruited everybody and constantly ended up being like the second or third choice of a whole lot of people. He came to the conclusion that he had to be much more surgical in his recruiting, that he had a very specifically to a certain, to a small percentage of elite um, high school basketball players convince them that playing for Duke, getting that exceptional academic credential, this was for them. And he would, they, 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 he didn't do any more shotgun recruiting. Tony has a very specific profile of the kind of person that is a Cavalier. Um, they're very selfless. They're exceptional defenders. They don't be, they don't feel offended to play in a slowdown offense. Um, and he's getting the guys that he needs to keep Virginia really competitive, almost in a service academy kind of way. Um, to me, great coaching is sizing up a problem, figuring out the best solution to it, and sticking to your convictions. Hey, Rick, that was a fantastic list. Uh, before you go, I want to ask you one more question. Last week, uh, Walker made fun of me for calling Rod Boone Roderick Boone, even though that is the name that is on his uh, athletic byline. I think it's an honor to use someone's full first name, Roderick Boone. If I were to call you Richard Bennell, wouldn't that make you feel honored? Wouldn't that make you feel special? Only my mom gets to call me Richard. <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't poke the bear, Doug. I thought we talked about this. Rick is Michael Jordan. You are BJ Armstrong. Please do not poke the bear. That was Rick Bunnell. Rick Bunnell that you can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bunnell. We always appreciate his time. He puts up with our foolishness entirely too much, and we always appreciate it. Thanks again, Rick. We'll talk to you next week. Sure thing, guys. Have a great day. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more here on Locked on Hornets. This is Locked on Hornets. I'm not a big fan of grape jelly. I kind of, I'm a little insulted that you referred to me as grape jelly. I'm not a fan of grape anything. Now, I like grapes, but I don't like grape flavoring. I think it goes back to the Robitussin that I had as a kid, and I just don't like grape flavoring. Anyway, great to yeah, be I'll, back. Great I'll, to be back on the show. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. What ifs are my favorite. I love looking back in history to see if something could have 
happened differently had maybe an outlier that did happen, uh, maybe not happen in, in a previous time in an alternate universe. I think that stuff is a lot of fun to discuss. And we started it off with asking Rick about if there was a shot that the Hornets could have beaten the weekend, uh, weekend bulls. Is that a chance that maybe would have allowed Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson and Muggsy Bogues to play together for uh, a little longer? And it is, <laughs> it goes to show you Rick, not necessarily entertaining that idea a whole lot because of just how bad it got right between Larry and Alonzo. Like it's interesting to think about, but with Rick mentioning that there were so many different things that, um, deterred that relationship from, you know, ever being salvaged. I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, Alonzo and Larry had that much beef that maybe a win like that couldn't even keep them together. Alonzo morning went it out and you just, you just have to wonder, um, you know, what could have saved it? Is there anything that could have saved it? I thought that was interesting that he mentioned there was just so many little things that led Larry and Alonzo astray and Zoe just wanted out so badly. He doesn't know if that would have changed anything. I too love what ifs Walker. Thank you for asking. Uh, I constantly live in regret of my personal decisions. I'm uh, constantly second guessing. So what if is one of my uh, favorite games. Uh, also, I believe that there are multiple universes. Uh, so certainly I think there is a universe that exists where the Charlotte Hornets in 1995 were able to overcome the Chicago Bulls with uh, Michael Jordan recently returned and the Charlotte Hornets then moving on to face the Orlando Magic and a Shaq that wasn't quite Shaq. I mean, I saw some highlights from that Bulls Magic series and Shaq, even though the, the Magic were able to, to get one over on the Bulls, it was really Nick Anderson and Penny. It just like Shaq was not the Shaq that we remember from his Lakers days. He was still sort of ascending to that point. So I think Alonzo would have matched up very well. I think he would have mm. gotten one over on on old Shaquille O'Neal, and uh, I think the Hornets would have moved on to the NBA Finals and won, and then Charlotte would have stayed forever, and we would be talking about the Charlotte Hornets like we talk about the San Antonio Spurs, a perennial threat in the National Basketball Association. Woo! So, okay, a couple of things happened there. One, you have made it a point to call Rod Boone, Roderick Boone, and Rick Richard Bennell, but you want to say Shacky O'Neal rather than calling him by his full name, which is interesting too. The Shack Attack. You, I think tried to give more credit. I think that's something that happened. I don't know if you fully committed, but I think you tried to give more credit to Nick Anderson being a guy that you would have to worry about in a potential magic Hornet series than Shaquille O'Neal that you said it was really Nick Anderson and Penny Hardaway because Shaq was not Shaqy like. And in fact, Shaq this is like. somebody that was averaging about 30 points per game by that point. It's someone that was averaging 29.3. Yeah, yeah, he, he, <laughs> he wasn't the dominant for the unstoppable force. I mean, clearly um, he was stoppable. You know, he goes from being stoppable to unstoppable. He wasn't at that point unstoppable. That's what I'm saying. Also, Shaquille <laughs> is his full name and everyone refers to him as either Shaq or Shaquille. And so that's not, you know, calling him Shaquille is not some honorarium like it is to say Roderick or Richard when everyone refers to them as Rod and Rick. It's a whole different thing. Then when somebody is known mainly for their extended name, it's actually an honor to give them a nickname. I should know. I'm Doug. I'm actually Douglas. That's my middle name. 
and people call me Doug, and that's an honor. You are you are honoring uh, me by giving me a nickname, and I appreciate it. I don't know any of that logic, how much it stands whatsoever. Uh, we can move on, though, with our what-if conversation. Maybe we discuss that on Wednesday. It's going to be a two-week-long process, I believe. Right, Doug? From the higher-ups, the Locked On Podcast Network is going to be going through what-if scenarios for the next two weeks. I think it's a good thing. I think in this in this time where we're all kind of sh- still sheltering uh, but preparing for the future, that we look back one more time and just ask about a, about a bunch of alternate universes because I would love... <laughs> I would, I would love to live in an alternate universe right now. Just I'd pick any of them. I would, I would live in them. Um, but fantastic! That was a fantastic couple of episodes of the Last Dance. I, I really appreciated the further examination of the complexity of Michael Jordan, the juxtaposition of this person who would at any point criticize a teammate and and really break them down in Scotty Burrell, but then or excuse me, Scotterick, Scotterick Burrell. And, uh, but it, but at the same time, he could not really deal with criticism from the media when it came to his baseball career, a, a place where he did not dominate. And I think one, one other thing that I, that I noticed from this thing is that Michael Jordan went through something that's very human that I think a lot of people listening to this podcast can relate to where you become really good at something. Maybe it's your job, but whatever. Maybe you become really good at something and then you get a little bored with it and you go, all right, I'm going to shake it up a little bit. I just feel like I need to shake it up a little bit. And you go and you try to challenge yourself and you think, oh, I really want the challenge. And then you get the challenge and you're like, actually, I just loved being good at the thing. Now I realize it wasn't about the thing. It was just I loved being good at the thing. I liked beating people. I liked being better at something than other people. So I want to go back to that thing. And that's, I feel like, what Michael Jordan went through. I'm not sure that it was about basketball so much as it was Michael Jordan just enjoyed beating people at something. I get the growing criticisms about The Last Dance. We know about Ken Burns' criticism saying this can't be a true documentary because it's Michael Jordan's production team that is a part of this. And I think that's totally fair. And I get all of that. I also get that a lot of people think this is just a big Michael Jordan propaganda machine. And it certainly is. I mean, we are all, I think, a little bit more focused on buying Jordan products. We know that the sales has gone up for Jordan products. And I get all of that. I get all of the criticisms. What I will say is, yes, it is a propaganda machine. I also don't think that the Last Dance documentary is completely disregarding some of the stuff that might be unbecoming of Michael Jordan. We're just getting it from his perspective, which is fine to me because they didn't dodge Michael Jordan's gambling issues. They really talked about it and we got comments from Michael about that. So they didn't just completely neglect it. They included that in the documentary and I wanted to hear from Michael Jordan about that. They didn't completely dodge the conspiracy theories about Michael Jordan having been quote unquote suspended by David Stern for 18 months. And I was interested in hearing from Michael about that. They didn't dodge his loss in the Orlando Magic series when he came back. You know, that's something that is under discussed. Michael Jordan dominated the 90s and they at least mentioned that, right? They mentioned and talked that, hey, Michael got the ball ripped from him by your boy, Nick Anderson. And there was a dunk on the other end by his former teammate, Horace Grant, who was then hoisted on shoulders by his teammates on his way out of the United Center. And so we actually got to see Michael Jordan get beat in a way that 
I don't think people remembered or just didn't want to discuss nearly as much. And so I think there's a lot of criticism about, hey, we're only talking about the good of Michael. Well, no, we're, we're addressing it. Jason Ayer, he is addressing some of the things about Michael Jordan that aren't all that becoming of him, but we're just getting the perspective from Michael. I think we were always going to deify him. I think we were always going to talk about Michael Jordan. There was not going to be this documentary that changed your opinion about how much you love MJ. And I think what we're getting here is MJ's perspective on some of the things that were some criticisms about Michael Jordan, and his playing days. And I, I think that's all fair. I just, I want to hear what Michael has to say about that, uh, about that stuff. How about David Stern flatly denying any of the rumors about him suspending Michael Jordan, but doing it with his hands in a position that you would identify with like a supervillain, like a Dr. Evil or a Claw or a uh, Mr. Burns. Like he had the Mr. Burns hands going on while he flatly denied that uh, he suspended Michael for 18 months over gambling issues. You're saying all he was missing was the hairless cat. That's what he was missing. That's it. It just looked very like I can't. I'm sorry. Listen, I can't trust anyone what anyone says who is holding their hands and looking like Mr. Burns. I can't do it. <laughs> that wraps up this edition of Lockdown Hornets. Take that advice. If you didn't listen to anything else on this podcast, just take that one. That wraps up this edition of Lockdown Hornets. Thanks again to Built Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Lockdown NBA, Chad Ford's Big Board, Hollinger and Duncan. Play all of them. Have a great day, and we'll see you on Wednesday. Michelangelo Jordan. Michelangelo Jordan.